This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Cloak and Dagger was an adventure radio series of NBC adapted from Corey Ford and Alistair McBain's book of the same title. The story ran that during World War II, OSS agents took dangerous missions without any assurance that they may return alive. So let me take you back to the 50s, when those war years were still fresh in the minds of Canadians, and we were just getting over the fact that we had to exist on rations and everyone was concerned with what was happening in Europe, thanks to Adolf Hitler and the Gestapo. Here is the episode entitled, Direct Line to Bombers. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS. Ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Warfare, espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, direct line to bombers, the story of an American OSS agent who, during the height of the war, directed from the streets of Berlin an American attack, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. After you get back from a mission, you sit around and there's nothing to do but sit around. So that's what I did. I sat in a room in Milton Hall in England where OSS agents are trained. I thought about the restaurant on 6th Avenue I wanted to open after the war. I was never so bored in my life. Yeah. Hey, uh, Nicky, the colonel wants to see you. Very important. Okay, pal. Tell my pal, the colonel, I'll be there. And win the war for him. Da 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 da. And that was how it all began, November 1944. After that, I didn't have time to be bored. I know you've just come back from a mission in France, Lieutenant, so it's strictly up to you if you want to go out again immediately. Oh, now listen, pal. I mean, uh, Colonel. <laughs> if I have to sit around here and do nothing, I'll blow my top. Uh, you um, speak German, don't you? Well enough to know that Hitler speaks a lousy German. 
full of grammatical errors. I, if I see him, I'll tell him. He may be closer to him than you think. Corporal? Yes, Colonel. Send in Professor Warburg. That's how I met the professor. He was a little guy with a beard. He weighed about as much as 10 cents worth of liver. And he reminded me of my chemistry teacher back in Lincoln Junior High School. Professor, tell Lieutenant Olesnikos just what you told me. With the greatest of pleasure, Colonel. Lieutenant, I am an escaped political prisoner of the Nazis. And I am here in England illegally. And you just walked into headquarters and told that to the Colonel, huh? Did you know you can be interned? I know that very well. But I can no longer sit by and be idle while I have a plan that I know can help the Allies. Uh, what uh, Professor Warber suggests, Lieutenant, is that he be parachuted into Germany with another agent, make his way to Berlin... I, uh, I assure you, I can move about Berlin blindfolded. I know it well. Berlin? This could be interesting. What then? Then, with a radio transmitter, we could pinpoint military targets to American planes overhead. We could direct bombs from the streets of Berlin itself. Now, wait a minute. Walk around with a walkie-talkie in the middle of a raid carrying on conversation with bombers? When do we leave, pal? I am ready any time. Today? Tomorrow? Yesterday? Professor may have been ready yesterday, but the OSS wasn't. First, we were briefed for weeks how to get food coupons in Berlin, how to buy a railroad ticket, how to post a letter, how to greet a German officer in the street. Little things, uh, an American cigarette, an English match, a laundry mark, would give us away. And there were big things, too. We were grilled for hours on cover stories. Forgeries became documents. Fiction became fact. Passes, stamps, signatures. Everything authentic, everything ersatz, including my manners and habits. But I was ready to pass as a citizen of Berlin. And then a plane took us high over German soil, and we jumped. It, Nikki. Yeah. It's only a few kilometers to Berlin. We can walk it, make it before daylight. <laughs> we should find the farmer who owns this field and say Dankeschön for providing us with so ideal a landing place. <laughs> yeah, we'll send him a letter sometime. Right now, let's get out of here. You will wait where you are. Kindly keep your hands in the air. Unless you want that I blow your heads off. Or that my dog tear you to bits. <laughs> Been a good dog keeping so still. Well, as your farmer, Professor, you still want to say Dankeschön? Sit still! Do not talk! You, uh, you have made a mistake, my friend. My companion and I got lost trying to find the road. We, we came by accident on your field. That's right. We both of us only recently discharged from the army. If you would care to see our papers right here in this knapsack... I can... If you don't keep your hands up, I will let the dog go for your throat. I do not care to see your papers. I saw you parachute from an American plane. Uh-oh. Walk now to the barn. Rolf will see to it that you stay there. Won't you, Rolf? 
German farmer left us in the barn and he didn't have to lock the door. That big black Doberman with the impatient fangs watched us as if he wanted us to make a move so we could jump. Oh, if we get out of this, my friend, I shall never again be a dog lover. Professor, don't move, don't turn your head, just listen to me. Yeah, I'm listening. There's some harness straps hanging on a hook right over my head. I noticed them when I came in. If I can pull them down fast enough, I'll throw them over the dog when he leaps, try to untangle him. Yeah, but... There's some horse blankets near you. When I pull down the straps, throw the blanket over him. It's got to be fast. Better work. I'm ready. On three, then. One. (coughs) Nice, boy. Nice, nice. Big, ugly mutt. Two. (coughs) Three. The harness caught on the nails. I tried to pull it down, and the dog leaped at my neck. And then the nail came off, too, and the straps fell across the dog's snout. Professor flung the blankets over the dog's head. I, I, I have him, Nicky, but I can't hold him. The shovel? Where's that shovel I saw? Hurry, hurry, I can't hold him. Here. Now, I hit him again and again. And then suddenly the only sound in the barn was the dull thud of the shovel. The dog didn't move or make a sound. He never would again. We had better get out now. Yeah, let's go. Ah, the smell of a bakery is always good. Uh, how fortunate it is. I have only this morning made Pfefferkuchen, Josef. <laughs> Just the way you always liked it. <laughs> how good to see you again, Anna. I told my friend Nikki that you would take us in, help us. Natürlich, Nikki. I will do anything I can. We, we may stay here then, huh, Anna? Oh. If all goes well, we will leave right after the raid tomorrow night. Yeah, 24 hours, all we need. Of course, you may stay. I still live above the bakery. There is an extra room. My grandson, Emil, will not be home from the youth camp for a week. Yet. Youth camp? What could I do, Nikki? What could anyone do in these days in Berlin but ride with the wind? Until there is a chance to fight against it. Helping you and your mission will give me my chance. Little Emil, eight years ago seemed like only yesterday. I used to sit with him on my lap here in this bakery and twirl my gold watch on the chain for him. Remember, Anna, how he laughed? Yeah, I remember. He has forgotten you by now. And you would not know him. He's 13 years old. Oh, 13 years old. Already they have poisoned his mind. I cannot get to him. I do not dare. He's a little parrot speaking only what is taught him. Uh, Nicky, some more coffee? No, thank you, Frau Leitner. More Pfefferkuchen or Apfelstrudel. A specialty of my shop, Apfelstrudel. No, thanks. Six years ago, at this very table, I had Emil on my lap when the Gestapo walked in and arrested me. They did not like what I taught in their school. What's that? Someone's coming. I don't know who it can be. Customers never come by this late. Grandmother, surprise, I'm home. Emil! What is, man? Emil, your manners. These are friends just uh, passing through Berlin. They are just staying the night. This is Herr Neudek and Herr Josef. Big Heil Hitler. Oh, yes, of course. Heil Hitler. I did not expect you until next week, Emil. How is it you are here so early? 
I won a great honor, which I want to tell you about. I did not know I'd have to share it with strangers. Shame, Emil. These men are, were soldiers of the fatherland. Yeah? Yes, Emil, we were both with the elite guard of one of Rommel's panzer divisions. Rommel? Yes, uh, that is before we received our medical discharges. Oh, Rommel. <laughs> Sit down, my boy. I will bring you something to eat, yeah? Don't you want to hear about the honor I received? Look, grandmother. On my sleeve. A red swastika. Yeah, red for the youth movement. And a swastika because I learned my lessons faster than the others. The commander-in-chief of the whole youth movement awarded me my swastika. And he told me I could take my vacation a week early. Are you proud of me, grandmother? Yeah, my boy. Yeah. Let me get you something to eat. Oh, no, 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 no I'm too tired. Going up to bed. Grandmother said you were staying here. Will I see you in the morning, gentlemen? Well, I'm not sure. Oh, they will be here. Now that you are home, Emil, I will sleep on the couch and give them my room. No, no, please. Oh, it is all right. It is settled. Good. Perhaps then, Herr Josef, you will tell me about Rommel. A great leader. Yes, yes, perhaps. Uh, we will see you in the morning, Emil. Why do you stare at me? Do I stare, boy? I thought so. Have I met you before, Herr Josef? No, I am sure not. Your face. Ever since I came in. Grandmother, have I met him here before? No, no, Emil. Herr Josef was here before you were born, even. You have never seen him. It has been years, <laughs> 15 maybe, <laughs> before you were born. <laughs> I suppose so. Well... Good night. Professor, he wouldn't remember, would he? Oh, how could he, Nicky? He was a baby that last day Josef saw him, barely five years old. And the professor was 30 pounds heavier, at least, and clean-shaved. Yeah, yeah. Anna is right, Nicky. Do not worry. He could not remember. Do not worry. <laughs> I couldn't help worrying. I lay awake half the night thinking about that kid in the room next door. The 13-year-old puppet with the new red swastika. It was just a feeling. I had a funny kind of feeling at the pit of my stomach that made me wish they'd kept him in that youth camp until after we were gone. When I got up, the sun had been up for hours, and so had the professor. I went downstairs to the bakery. There was a smell of fresh bread baking, and I knew Frau Leitner was in the kitchen. But the professor was sitting at the table, swinging his watch on the gold chain and talking well, to that uh, German quiz what kid. What else have you learned, Emil? But why do you want to know? Oh, I'm just interested. I want to see how well you have earned that swastika. I stood at the oh, bottom of the stairs me. and listened. We have a leader who has revolutionized Germany. He is the greatest man who ever was or will be. When I joined the Führer's organization, the man in charge said... Join no organization but this. Forward, forward, the banner leads us to eternity. Oh, you have learned your lesson well. Hmm? Yeah, Joseph. Are you sure I have never seen you before? Of course not, my boy. I seem to remember. Hey, Joseph. Ah, good morning, Herr Neudeck. Uh, since we're just passing through Berlin, don't you think we ought to see a few of the... The sights before we leave. Yeah, yeah, you are right. We will leave now. 
Perhaps later, Emil, we will talk more. The raid was scheduled for that night, and the professor and I had a lot of work to do. We made arrangements to meet about 4.30 that afternoon at a tavern on Wilhelmstrasse. We went separate ways. I did a lot of walking, and I made a lot of notes in my head. The Klingenberg power plant was still functioning. The Ostkreuz junction of the city railroad had been repaired. There was an ammunition dump on the north side that our bombers couldn't see from the air. It's a nice day. A lot of Germans were walking the streets. And I made a lot of notes in my head. Wish to order now, mein Herr. Nine, nine, later. I am waiting for a friend. The professor was 15 minutes late, and I started getting nervous. Maybe somebody had recognized him. I sat there and sweated it out. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour. And then he finally came. But he wasn't alone. Herr Neudeck, this is Hauptmann Müller. Uh, we, uh, we met only this afternoon, and I uh, invited him to come and have dinner with us. <laughs> it was not quite that way, Herr Neudeck. It was I who insisted upon coming alone. I, uh, give uh, down. You were with one of Rommel's panzer divisions, I understand. Yes, we were only recently discharged from the army. Myself, I am just back. <laughs> we will have much to talk about. Where is that stupid waiter? They're never around when you need them. Uh, he will be here presently. Uh, presently is not soon enough. I will go to see him myself. I'll be right back. Where did you pick him up? He found me, my friend. There is a reservoir near the rail line. I was looking around. I think he was a little suspicious at first, but when I told him I was with Rommel, he became more friendly. Yeah. I am beginning to believe I was in Africa myself. Just the same, I wish you could have shaken him. What did you find out? It was a profitable afternoon. And you? A profitable afternoon. Good. Shh, he comes back. <laughs> ah, yes. At first, it seems strange to me that Herr Josef here should show so much interest in the reservoir. <laughs> well, I, I was merely taking a stroll, getting reacquainted with Berlin. <laughs> then I watched you. I saw you walk down towards the rail line. That was when I stopped you and began to talk. We are both glad you did, Herr Hauptmann. Give us this opportunity to get acquainted. Yeah, yeah. Hope we shall see more of you while we're in the capital. Uh, perhaps, Herr Neudeck. Perhaps you shall see a great deal of me. <laughs> I think I shall call the waiter and order some brandy. Oh, I see. You have not yet finished your meal, Herr Neudeck. You're still eating. It's very good. Our diet at the hospital was not so varied. No doubt, no doubt. Everything I ate stuck in my throat. I know, one of the nerves. down. I knew that German officer was watching me as he talked. Watching me strangely, and I didn't know why. I knew that something was wrong, and I didn't know why. The professor felt it, too. Her name is Gertrude, this little Fräulein, I tell you about. And she has friends. Oh, very pretty friends. 
Uh, you would like to meet, uh, perhaps? Yes, we would like to very much, uh, Hauptmann. How <laughs> oh, you would have enjoyed them. We might have had great fun together. All of us. Unfortunately, you may be otherwise engaged with the Gestapo. What? What? What did you say, Herr Hauptmann? I have been watching you all through dinner, Herr Neudig. You are an American. Do not I, move, either of you. I have my hand on my gun. But surely you're, you're joking. No European eats the way you do. To change the fork from the left hand to the right after the knife is used. At first, it escaped me. I just knew something bothered me. Then I realized what it was. It there so it was. The little but thing that could put a rope around Only my neck. Americans hold the fork sideways in the right hand. In my nervousness, I'd forgotten a little thing like that European yeah. manner of eating. The Gestapo will be very pleased. The sharp knife I'd been eating with was still in my hand. Almost as if it moved Both by itself, it disappeared under the table and halfway in the into the German office. Good work, Mickey. Good. I was stupid to get myself into that jam in the first place. We're not out of this yet. Waiter. Waiter. Ja, mein Herr. Check, please. A friend has had a little too much to drink. We will take him home. Yeah, yeah, right away. Between the two of us, we managed to get him out of there. His head was rocking back and forth like a drunk. The knife was still in him, so the blood didn't flow very much. He kept his cape around him. All right. There is no one around here, Nicky. We can dump him behind this shed. All right. We're beginning to leave a trail a mile long. <coughs> so long, pal. It's nice meeting you. Come on, Professor. Let's go. got back to the bakery, there was more trouble waiting for us. Trouble 61 inches high, weighing about 110 pounds, wearing a new red swastika on his arm. They're in the kitchen. Something is wrong. I don't like the sound of that. Come on. You with someone else, Amy. No, no, no. Why are you so stubborn? This morning when we were, I watched you on the chain. I thought I remembered something. And just now, how I did. Oh, you have never seen Herr Josef before, Amy. I have. When I was very little, they get stopped. They arrested a man with a gold watch on a chain. I tell you, he is the same one. Amy, they do not even look alike. And what about this? This broadcast radio I found hidden in your bedroom on a hat box. I, I... It's called a walkie-talkie, Amy. Give it back to me. Mickey! Josef, come back. You see, you see, we've wasted time. I should have gone to the authorities right away. They have tricked you, grandmother. He knows, Anna. I am afraid so. I've been holding him here, hoping he would return. What did you say? You knew grandmother, didn't you? They didn't trick you at all. Traitor. You're a traitor, too. Him. Get him. away from me. I hate you. Me. I hate you. Nicky, get, get him. He's trying to run. I've got him. Let me go. Let me go and report to the Gestapo. They kill you. They have you shot. I'm not going to report oh. anyone. What will I do with him? Uh, upstairs. His bedroom. Oh, Lock him there until after you have gone. Right. Let go of me. Get your hands on me. I hate you. I hate you all. Let me go. will have to come with us when we leave here tonight, Anna. You cannot stay now. Professor is right, Frau Leitner. That kid upstairs will turn you over to the Nazis so fast you won't know what happened to you. My little Emil, turn me in. Josef, would he? 
Yeah, I'm afraid he would, Anna. It is best that you come with us. We are going to try to get through the lines into France. Once there, there are underground workers who will help us. Yeah. Nicky, is it all right if I bring this tray of food up to him? He has not eaten. He's still such a little boy. Yeah, sure, sure. You oh, take it up, but don't untie his hands, remember? Yes, I will remember. Now the raid ought to start soon. Let's go over this map, make sure we have everything right. Huh? Yeah. Now, the rail line is here. Mm -hmm. Sector 2, grid B3. And if our bombers knock that out, Berlin's transportation is completely crippled. And here on the map, power plant is in sector 6, grid G5. Mickey, he's gone. What did you What? Get? Yeah, his hands. He got them loose. He lowered himself from the window with the bedsheets. What are we to do? He'll bring the Gestapo back with him. We don't know how long he's been gone. Professor, the window, quick. Yeah. The, uh, ah, the back door. There, there is a car coming. I there can is, see it. There is an alley and Now, we look, can... look, no time. They'll have this place surrounded. How do you get to the roof? The roof, yeah, yeah. Up those stairs. We can go to, to the other rooftops and perhaps escape. There better be no perhaps about it. <laughs> up to the attic stairs and onto the roof. You could see the Germans from there. Four of them in black shirts spilled out of an armored car. Two of them broke in through the front door. Two of them started around to the rear. And then we heard Emil. Emil, my boy. Anna. Nikki. Nikki, she's dead. Well, it won't do her any good if we stay here. Come on, across the parapet. Oh, that's music to my ears. At least it'll keep them from getting more help right now. Stay where you are! Surrender now and it will go easier with you! Come and get us, pal! One of them did try to come and get us. He got it first. Right between the eyes. He swayed for a few seconds back and forth and then he fell off the roof onto the street. Ah, that's one of them, Nikki. There are only two left. Two? What happened to the third? Nikki, was... behind you! Fourth Nazi had come up the other way through somebody else's attic and onto the roof behind. Get your hands up! Now there are just two left, Professor. I... Hey, Professor, what is it? My... my leg. I can't move it. I can't go any further, Nicky. What happened afterwards was a nightmare. It was if the earth cracked wide open. It was red hot burning and the noise of the planes and the agag and the German guns and the bombing made my, my stomach turn. We crouched behind a parapet and I held them off while the professor directed the bombers. Attention! Attention, bombers! The Klingenberg power plant is still functioning and supplies electric power to vital industries. Bomb sector 6, grid G5. The Ostkreuz junction of the city railroad has been repaired. Knock it out and all traffic in Berlin will be stopped. Sector 2, grid B3. All right, go now, Nikki, while there is a chance. I can hold them off long enough for you to get away. I can't leave you here. No, no, they won't take me. Don't worry. Now look, I'll carry you. We'll make it. Come on. Surrender now! 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 Surrender
Listen, listen to me, Nicky. Go across the next two rooftops and then down through the skylight. There is a tailor shop. Yeah, but Professor... Go out the back door there. It leads to an alley. Once over the fence, under cover of the rage, you can make it. Now, look, I won't go without you. All right, I will change your mind. Attention! Attention, bombers! Hey, what are you doing? Attention, bombers! Imperative! Wait two minutes and bomb crossroads at sector seven, grid D3. Hey, Professor, what are you doing? You're crazy. That's here, this sector. Go on, run. Run, Nikki. I'll cover you. I ran. I stumbled and fell and got up and ran again. When I got down in the alley through the tailor shop, I kept on running. And then the bomb fell and the concussion rocked the ground and I went flat on my face. When I looked back, I knew that our bombers had made another direct hit. Professor had not only held off the Germans while I got away, but kept them there until it was too late for any of them. A little German bakery that specialized in Apfelstreudel folded up as if it had been made of matchsticks. Somewhere in the wreckage, the professor with his gold watch on a chain was buried under it. And overhead, the planes headed back. There was nothing left for me there. I headed back, too. Lieutenant Gus Olesnikus made his way to France and after months from there to England. But his direction of the bombing raid from the target itself kept some of Berlin's major industries crippled and its transportation system paralyzed. And once again, the report of an OSS agent closes with the words... Mission accomplished. Listen next week when we again present... Cloak and Dagger. in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Everett Sloan, Bill Zuckert, Lily Darvas, Barry Kroger, Michael Artist, Raymond Edward Johnson, Carl Weber, Jerry Jarrett, Bobby Weil, and Brad Barker. Script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Gart. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Cowan production in association with Alfred Hollander, and was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Day appeared for the first time on Jack Benny's radio show, October 8th of 1939. He remained associated with Benny's radio and television programs until Benny's death in 1974. He was introduced as a young 19-year-old naive boy singer, a character he kept throughout his whole career. Well, let's turn to the episode we have coming up now in the fictional town of Weaverville, True Life Article.
and gentlemen, Colgate Dental Cream presents the Dennis Day Show, written by Frank Galen. With Dink Trout, Charles Dant of the orchestra, yours truly, Vern Smith, and starring our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Twice a day and before every date, use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. Here's Dennis singing Linda. When I go to sleep, I never count sheep. I count all the charms about Linda. And lately it seems in all of my dreams, I walk with my arms about Linda. Oh, what good does it do me? For Linda doesn't know I exist Can't help feeling gloomy Think of all the loving I've missed We pass on the street My heart skips a beat I say to myself Hello, Linda If only she'd smile I'd stop her a while then I would get to know Linda. But miracles still happen. And when my lucky star begins to shine, with one lucky break, I'll make Linda mine. Oh, miracles still happen. And when my lucky star begins to shine With one lucky break I'll make Linda just about the last person in the whole world you'd suspect of being up to something devilish is the husband of our young hero's landlady. Loyal, dutiful, steady, fearful Mr. Anderson. But his daughter Mildred has been far from satisfied with her father's behavior during the past week, and so this morning she's decided to broach the subject to her boyfriend, Dennis Day, in his room. Dennis, what are you doing? Oh, listening to the radio. To the radio? Oh, I don't hear anything. I know, Fred Allen's on. I want to talk to you. Okay. Dennis, have you noticed anything odd or unusual about Dad lately? Your dad? No, Mildred. Why? Well, he's been acting strangely all week. Gee, really? He hasn't been near Mother for whole days at a time. And besides that, he's been acting strangely, huh? <laughs> we hardly ever see him anymore. Why, at dinner, he barely gets through the first course before he disappears somewhere. I don't understand it. Me either. He certainly should be used to the food by now. <laughs> it is a 
isn't the food. My father's up to something. Oh, gosh, you really think so? I do. Dennis, you don't suppose... Oh, no. No, it's impossible. Well, that's silly. Nothing is impossible. What were you thinking of? Another woman. Beg pardon, I was wrong. It's utterly fantastic. Ridiculous. Still. Yeah, it's spring, and you know what they say about young men and their fancy. <laughs> but Dad's not a young man, Dennis. Well, sometimes even his type runs across something fancy. <laughs> you really think it might be an affair d'amour? Oh, I don't know whether she's French or not. <laughs> but you do think he might be interested in another woman. Oh, Dennis, I can't believe it. Me either, really. But, Dennis, we've simply got to know the truth. Yeah. If it's what we suspect, we might be able to break it up before Mother hears about it. Think what'll happen to her if she finds out about my father. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes either. (laughs) Now, look. Daddy's in the next room. You're going in there and find out what he's up to. You mean right now? Yes, only for heaven's sakes, be tactful. If you're not subtle about it, he won't tell you a thing. Okay, I'll kind of ease into it slowly. I can be pretty sly, you know. Oh, good. I'll wait here for you. Go on now. Morning, Mr. Anderson. Morning, my boy. <laughs> what do you think of the Russian situation, Mr. Anderson? The Russian situation? Why, it's pretty complicated. Yeah, and do you know that half the population of Russia is women? Naturally. How's your love life lately? (laughs) My what? Mr. Anderson, I'm going to put my cards right on the table. I suspect you of going out with another woman. And, uh, Dennis, have you ever seen me with another woman? No, sir. No. Have you ever heard me mention another woman's name or seen me even look at another woman at any time? No, sir. Well, then, where are you hiding her? I'm afraid we're discussing a pleasant impossibility Now, believe me, it isn't so No? Then where do you rush off to every night after dinner? To the public library Aha! Now we're getting somewhere A beautiful librarian, huh? Dennis, in the Weaverville Library The only thing you'll find well-stacked are the books What do you do at the library, then? Well, now, if you'll promise me to keep it a secret, I'll tell you. Oh, sure. I promise. All right. Now, I've been looking up some old newspaper files. You see, I've been writing a story. A story? That's right. I've already sent it to True Story magazine, and they want to publish it. Gee, what's it called? The Romance of Herbert Anderson. <laughs> Fiction, huh? You have just put your finger on the horrible problem that I now find myself faced with. You see, True Story magazine positively insists that every word they print is the absolute truth. Oh, and you didn't make your romance true. No, I made it interesting. (laughs) Now the magazine is sending a man here to authenticate my story before they publish it. Well, can he find anything false? I mean, just what did you say? Well, I described myself as a man of 50 with a desirable wife. You're dead. (laughs) I could could get by with that But you see, as an added touch I mentioned our children Oh, one daughter could hardly be considered children, huh? Exactly 
Well, maybe you could say it was a little mistake that you lost count. Well, <laughs> hardly, because I described the other child in considerable detail. A boy, I said it was. A brilliant boy who less than a year ago had received his doctorate from Harvard. Gee, you are in a mess. When will this fellow from True Story be here? Well, this afternoon, according to the wire I got. This afternoon? Gosh, even if Mrs. Anders presented you with a son right now, he could never get through Harvard in time. Well, not a hard school like Harvard, no. Well, let's not give up yet, Mr. Anderson. There's got to be a way out of this thing somehow. Oh, I hope so. Now, don't you worry. I've got a brain and Mildred's got a brain, and between our two brains, she's sure to think of something. <laughs> That's all it is. Oh, I think your father's in pretty big trouble, Mildred. Yes, but there's a way to get him out. That is, if you're willing. I knew you'd think of an idea. What's this one? A state or a federal offense? <laughs> well, it's very simple. Daddy has to produce a son for the man from True Story magazine. All right, you're the son. Me? Mildred, this thing's got to be realistic. But it is realistic. You're the right age, aren't you? Yes. Then you're the son he wrote about. A brilliant young man with a college degree. It is here that I feel we are veering toward fantasy. <laughs> Nonsense. Now, look, you told me the boy was a doctor. Yeah. All right. You go down to Dr. Hopkins' office. Huh? I'll send the man from True Story there, and when he arrives, he finds you wearing Dr. Hopkins' coat and sitting at his desk. He also finds Dr. Hopkins beating my brains out, doesn't he? <laughs> No, because Dr. Hopkins won't be there. Somebody's made him go out on an emergency. Who? You. Oi. <laughs> All you have to do is tell the doctor someone's desperately ill. Pretend you're in a panic. Oh, that I can handle easily. Good. And when the man from True Story gets there, you're the doctor, see? But, Mildred, really, oh, I... Oh, you can do it. Forget right now about being a soda clerk and start thinking about your new career. I am. Goodbye, Willoughby's Drugstore. Hello, Alcatraz. Come in, come in, come in. Dr. Hopkins, Dr. Hopkins. Yes, boy, what is it? An emergency, doctor, my sister. Your sister? Yeah, she's doubled up in agony. Her face has turned green, her teeth are falling out, and she's got a temperature of 109. What? Yeah, we think she's sick. Good gracious. Has she been in this condition long? Since January. January? Why do you come to me now? Well, today she started to complain. Could you go right away, doctor? Yeah, yes, of course. What's the address? 120 Cedar Road. It's out in the middle of the woods, ten miles from here. Good heavens. How could you have picked such an out-of-the-way spot? It wasn't easy. <laughs> I'd better call the hospital and have them drive me over in the ambulance. An ambulance? Of course, yes, yes, yes. The driver will find the place. Doc, it's beautiful out. Why don't you walk? <laughs> don't be a fool. I'll go over to the hospital and pick up the ambulance there. And you stay here and watch the office for me till I get back, understand? Yes, sir. Gee, it worked like a charm. This must be one of my abnormal days. <laughs> oh, gosh, what do I do now? Maybe it's Mildred. Hello? Yes, this is Dr. Hopkins' office, but... What? Your wife is about to have a baby, and what should you do? Well, humor her, I guess. Let her have it. <laughs> Mister, 
thing to say. You ought to have your phone ripped out. Yes, did you get rid of the doctor? Yeah. The man from Proof Stories on his way down the hall. Oh. Quick, put on that white coat and put the stethoscope around your neck. Hurry now. Okay. Oh, there he is. I'll slip behind the screen where he can't see. Come in. How do? I'm Mr. Weems of True Story Magazine. They told me I could find Mr. Anderson's son here. Yes, I'm Mr. Anderson's son. Dennis Day is the name. <laughs> Dennis Day? Your father's name is Herbert Anderson and yours is Dennis Day? Uh, yeah, he didn't want people to call me Junior. <laughs> that explains your first name, but what about your last? Well, Daddy's a fellow takes no chances at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to welcome you to my office and assure you that... Your office? Sure. On the front door, it says Dr. Hopkins. How come? Uh, let's let that one ride, shall we? <laughs> I may think of something later. Better come up with it now. I have a feeling I may not be here long. Well, um, uh, I just bought Dr. Hopkins' practice, and I haven't had time to take his name off the door yet. Hey, pretty good, huh? <laughs> Yes. But why did you buy a medical practice? Oh, you know me, the man in white. It says right in Dad's story that I got my doctorate a year ago. Yes, but your doctorate wasn't an M.D. It was a law degree from Harvard Law School. A law degree? You mean I'm a... I'm a... Try to guess. <laughs> a lawyer? Good boy. Yeah, yeah, of course I'm a lawyer. I was just having a little joke, that's all. Pretty funny, don't you think? <laughs> You bet. Yes, sir. If you're a lawyer, why have you got on that white coat with a stethoscope around your neck? Oh, that's easy. When I chase ambulances, I like to dress for it. I see. And all this equipment? What would a lawyer want with an x-ray machine? Oh, you'd be surprised how it turns up the hidden clauses in contracts. And I suppose you use that examination table when you examine witnesses. Yeah, it helps me weed out the habeas corpuses from the corpus delicti's. <laughs> this kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> Hope so. You don't expect me to swallow this, do you, Mr. Day? I'd be terribly grateful. <laughs> Well, you do have some awfully novel ideas for a lawyer. Yeah, they come when I least expect them. You and Clarence Darrow, eh? No, I like to work alone. <laughs> Who has a better right? <laughs> well, Mr. Day, True Story magazine, as you know, prints nothing but the truth. So until I can check on this matter elsewhere, I suggest you plead nolo contendere, so to speak. Oh, I will. I'll plead uh, just what you said. You're not familiar with that common legal phrase? I'm a Harvard man, Mr. Weems. We'd hardly learn common phrases there. <laughs> yes, naturally. But you do understand Latin, of course. Oh, of course. I'm simply Odedlay with Attenlay. <laughs> you are indeed loaded with something or other. Well, goodbye, Mr. Day. Let's not do it again real soon, shall we? Dennis, is he gone? Yeah. You know something, Mildred? I have a feeling he didn't believe a word I said. 
I'm afraid you're right. But there's nothing we can do now but hope for the best. Don't lose confidence. Oh, I won't. But just in case, when you get home tonight, would you bake me a cake with a file in it? <laughs> oh, oh, no, Dennis, you must... Uh-oh, he's back again. Quick, behind the screen. Okay. Come in. Now, look, Mr. Weems, I... Stand still, Doc. This ain't a water pistol I got in my hand. I need a doctor. But, but... You're coming with me, Doc. The boss needs you fast and he needs you bad. A car just went past him and now he's got two bullets in his stomach. Gosh, I realize that drivers are always thinking up new things to do to pedestrians, but... <laughs> Come on, get your things on, Doc. I ain't fooling. No, no, wait. You're making a mistake. I'm not a doctor. No? Then what are you doing in this office with a white coat on and a stethoscope around your neck? Oh, I was trying to convince someone that I was a lawyer. <laughs> Sounds weak, huh? Doc, I'm warning you for the last time. The boss needs someone to pick those bullets out of him. And, and if I refuse? You go anyway. Then you and the boss can pick the bullets out of each other. I see what you mean. You're an excellent salesman. Thank you. Now, are you coming? Yes, sir, only... Only, what if I weren't a doctor? I'd blow your brains out, mister. Call me Doc. <laughs> come on, come on, we've wasted enough time. Our hideout is the old foster place on Pine Hill. Here, here's your little black bag. Now, come on, let's go. Yes, sir. Oh, Dennis, my poor darling. I've got to do something. But what? What? They're killing those horrible men. He'll be dead. And that fellow he takes the bullets out of, he won't do well either. <laughs> oh, I've just got to do something. The foster place on Pine Hill. Well, here he is, Chief. Oh, good work, Sam. Oh, Doc, you're just in time. These bullets went awful deep in my stomach. They did? Yeah, my head is split. <laughs> Boy, that is deep. <laughs> you better get right to work, Doc. I, I can't stand this pain much longer. Look, mister, at the risk of my life, there's something I gotta tell you. I'm Shut not... Shut up, a... you, and get busy if you want to live. I'll take his pulse. Huh? You heard me take his pulse. Really, I don't think we should remove it in his condition. <laughs> you're talking about. All you gotta do is feel it. Oh. Well, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and feel his pulse. Yes, sir. If you'll find it, I'll be glad to feel it. <laughs> oh. Never mind the pulse, Doc. A blood count is more important anyway. A blood count? Yeah, go ahead. Take one. Oh, I don't have to. I can tell without counting them that you have fewer than you used to. <laughs> you know something, boss? I think you're in trouble. You're telling me. But the heat's on, Sam. We've got to get out of here. Oh, go after those bullets, Doc. I'll tell you what. Let's leave them in. A lot of iron and bullets, you know, and the system requires iron to... Shut up! <laughs> fine time. A fine time to be making jokes. Go on, examine his stomachs and see if you can locate them, them slugs. Okay. Steady now, Chief. Ow! Ticklish? <laughs> He can't stand that. Come on, give him an anesthetic. An anesthetic? Yeah, sure. You got something to put him asleep, ain't you? 
Well, I could read to him if you want me to. Are you crazy? You must have brought some ether with you in that bag. Let me see. Yeah, sure, sure, here it is. Gee, I'm glad I remembered. Okay. Now I'll pour some on my handkerchief and give it to him. There. There, that ought to do it. All right now, Doc. You call for your instruments and I'll hand them to you. But I... Call for your instruments. Okay. Knife. Knife. Smelling salts. Smell... <laughs> You're going to give him smelling salts? They're for me. Well, see that you don't need them, understand? Now, what else do you need? Forceps. Forceps. Band-Aid. Band-Aid? <laughs> Gotta leave him looking neat afterwards, don't we? For crying out loud, Doc, quit... Quit talking like a fool, will you, and start operating. Really, mister, look, Did you, got... you hear me? Yes, sir, but I can't operate on this man. I'm not start a... Start operating. Yes, sir. Hey, what's that? Open up there! Open up in there! Okay, you. Then we are. Get your hands up. The cops. Gee, just like David Harding, counter-spy. <laughs> Dennis, are you all right? Mildred and Mr. Weems. Sure, I'm all right. Well, what do you know? Sam McNulty and Scarface Fudnick. <laughs> We've been wanting these boys a long time. Congratulations, Doc. Well, well, so you've given up law and taken to medicine again, eh, Mr. Day? <laughs> Gee, Mr. Weems, I bet you think I'm flighty, don't you? <laughs> he knows you aren't a lawyer, Dennis, or even Daddy's son. Yes, and of course we can't use Mr. Anderson's story. Oh? But it's quite possible that we can print the story of how you captured these gangsters single-handed. Gosh, really? Yes. Only remember, Mr. Day, this is True Story Magazine. We want the plain truth and only the truth. Oh, sure. Well, it was like this. I was all alone in the doctor's office when all of a sudden ten men armed with Tommy guns and cutlasses jumped me. I fought like a demon and I was winning easily when all of a sudden one of them whips out an atom bomb. Well, naturally, I couldn't do much against that, so I waited my chance and then I went after the whole army. I hit one guy with a left, another with a right, and a third... The story of how Dennis Day routed the gangsters will not be found in True Story magazine. But the story of Dennis's life, entitled OK, I'll Talk, definitely is in the current issue. True Story magazine on sale at all newsstands. With Charles Dant in the orchestra, here's Dennis to sing the current favorite, I Want to Thank Your Folks. Just a couple of kids. 
suppose they hadn't thought of inviting me to see what I have missed. And here's my thanks to you for making all my love dreams come true. But darling, to be perfectly frank, I really must thank your hope. you recall the birthday party they gave you? When we were just a couple of kids. Well, suppose they hadn't thought of inviting me to see what I Jack Benny every Sunday. And be sure and be with us again next week for another Dennis Day program. More songs, more adventures in the life of our star, Dennis Day. Meanwhile, be sure to use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. Ladies, keep right on saving used pants and oils. Turn them into your dealer and he'll pay you more for your used pants and oils. Mrs. Burns Smith reminding you the daylight saving time becomes effective in certain areas on April 27th. This may change the time at which the Dennis Day program is heard in your community. Please check your local paper for the time at which this program will be heard next week and each week thereafter. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Burns and Allen. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.